Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with Hiro Yoshikawa, author of the new book, Immigrants Raising Citizens, Undocumented Parents and Their Young Children. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you very much, Matt. So Hiro, tell us a little bit about, not necessarily what the book is about, but why you decided to write this book. Um, well, I started uh, with a colleague of mine when I was at uh, NYU, uh, Catherine Tamas Lamanda, a large um, birth cohort study of immigrant families in New York City. So we've been following these infants um, from different immigrant groups since about 2004. And uh, the study has a larger focus on culture, context, and uh, early children's development. But um, we conducted, as part of the study, a uh, in-depth ethnographic um, study with about uh, a, a, s a smaller number of the families than the whole uh, sample, which was about 400. And in those stories that these low-income immigrant moms were telling us, uh, this theme of documentation status emerged as a pretty powerful but unexpected uh, story. So this was not something that we set out to do, but something that really emerged from our data. When you decided to put this data together, what were some of the findings? It said undocumented parents share three sets of experience that distinguish them from legal status parents. What are those? The first set of um, conditions that really affect their children's development is the terrible work conditions that undocumented parents face. So this study was conducted in New York City, and uh, this week, I think, is the 100th anniversary of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire, which led ultimately to the um, to the set of labor laws that we take for granted in the United States today. And what was ironic is that 100 years after that fire, for undocumented immigrants, many of their work conditions are as bad as those conditions that uh, led to those labor laws in, 19, in the 1920s. So uh, th perhaps the most powerful set of influences on these children's lives, and again an unexpected one, was uh, how how low the wages of these parents were, how um, little access they had to job benefits and overtime pay that we take for granted, extraordinarily high rates of below minimum wage jobs. So between 30 and 40 percent of our uh, undocumented parents were working below the legal minimum wage in New York State. Um, and those affected children through lower access to learning opportunities that um, are actually in, in our country associated with formal employment. So if you want to get childcare subsidies in the US, for example, uh, you do have to kind of show proof of employment and these parents are reluctant to um, reveal who their employer is. Despite the fact that they're working um, uh, long hours, they have uh, very high rates of work effort. Um, another set of influences uh, besides the work and childcare experiences of these parents was their psychological distress um, and economic hardship. So uh, these, these parents do live under the radar. That brings a daily level of stress that I think can be hard to imagine for the rest of us. I mean, we're all living with a lot of stress, but to actually be um, avoiding authorities uh, the fear of deportation that many of these uh, immigrant parents face. How does that stress affect the children? Is it that they're just spending less time with the children at, at a young age? Um, what, what does that stress do to the, to the child? Um, what we found was that uh, uh, 
parents' documentation status affected their kids' early cognitive development? Interestingly, not their early social or emotional uh, development, but really literally things like their early vocabulary skills, um, uh, their visual skills, their motor skills. So those kinds of cognitive skills were what was affected. Um, and another part of the story is that these parents, when we asked them, for example, whether they read to their children, how often they read to their children, how often they uh, engaged in interactive play with them, their rates were no different um, uh, across the groups that varied a lot in documentation status. So it's not about different levels of commitment to their children's learning. These parents are just as committed. They're just as likely to state in their goals that they want their children to succeed later in life and in school. Um, but uh, it was uh, literally, I think, the, the level of stress and perhaps um, uh, uh, a certain level of withdrawal from the child and certainly very high work hours. Can you tell us a little bit about the way you decided to tell this story in book form, uh, how you got the groups together, uh, who's represented, and then how to, how to take all that information and tell it in a compelling narrative form in your book? Mm -hmm. Well, um, the, the center of the book are these rich ethnographic narratives. So we uh, literally asked field workers to record their impressions um, starting from the moment they entered the subway from kind of familiar parts of New York City out into the neighborhoods where these immigrants live, which is part of New York that I think uh, most of us do not see in the movies. And so that was part of the, uh, the stories that uh, I wanted to tell in the book. And so uh, much of the book tells these very rich uh, stories of these parents, not just their work lives, their social networks, what their family lives are like, um, how they interact with programs um, and benefits for which their children are eligible as citizen children. 91% um, uh, of uh, children under the age of six of undocumented parents in the U.S. today are citizens, and so they have rights. Um, to all the programs and learning opportunities that uh, the um, public uh, provides, but these parents are, are uh, often unwilling or reluctant to enroll the children for fear of attracting attention. So, you know, these children are too young to enroll themselves in programs that are good for them, and so um, I do think this is uh, an issue of public awareness and public investment in these kids' learning. Was there some sort of pushback or difficulty in identifying undocumented parents in New York City to participate in this survey, to participate in this book, because for fear of that they would think participation would mean uh, essentially coming out and saying that they're undocumented and fearing that that might have them deported or something like that? Well, there are multiple layers of pr uh, protection for their confidentiality in this book, and I mask um, uh, a lot of details um, and do some, uh, you know, make some real strong efforts to ensure the uh, confidentiality of the participants. Um, the uh, groups, by the way, are Mexicans, Dominicans, and Chinese were our three immigrant groups, and we chose them because they represent uh, the majority of immigrant families in New York City. Um, and they did vary in their documentation status. Um, this was not something that we asked them formally, um, for example, using questionnaire uh, methods. It, this was material that came up spontaneously in our uh, ethnographic work with them. Now, putting together this book, what were some of the greatest surprises that you found in assessing everything and then analyzing it? 
living in a in a large a city like New York, but I think this is true of um, uh, many, many cities across the U.S. and increasingly uh, towns as well. Uh, many of us actually come into daily contact uh, with the undocumented. Um, these are the people who work in the delis and groceries. They're serving us our food in restaurants. Um, they're uh, often actually taking care of our children. Um, and to open up a window into how these parents struggle, like all the rest of us, but with fewer opportunities and lower access to support the learning of their children, I think is not something, again, we expected when we started the study. Um, these are four million children, um, and at a point when the baby boomer generation is aging and our society uh, needs to invest in every single one of its children um, to write off four million uh, citizen kids uh, in terms of their learning opportunities is uh, not something that we can afford to do. And when you were speaking to the parents, did, did you ever ask them, what is your definition of citizenship? What does it mean to be raising an American citizen? That's interesting. We actually didn't ask that um, uh, directly. Uh, in 2006, as you might know, there was a wave of immigrant rights marches going on all across the country uh, because at that point a pathway to citizenship was being debated in Congress um, and there was actually a proposal by uh, then President George W. Bush. So we asked the parents um, what they thought of the uh, policy debates that were going on and we got a huge variety of responses. Um, some of them thought that this would finally be uh, provide some hope for them uh, to become integrated uh, into the United States, where they had, um, you know, typically lived and worked uh, for years. Um, but then some of them thought that this was going to be a way that the uh, government would identify them and deport them. So, um, so there was both uh, hope and um, fear in the stories we heard. You recently went to Congress to testify in front of several congressmen about your findings. Um, what did you say and how is it perceived? Well, I framed uh, this issue again in terms of where our economy is and the need to invest in our children um, and started with the fact that this is, uh, represents about one in every 17 children in the U.S. or about one in every elementary school classroom. Uh, I presented uh, the findings. This was to the Congressional uh, Black, Hispanic, and Asian Caucus. Um, so I think uh, they were actually quite receptive um, to the data. Yeah, and, and there were four public policy recommendations that you made. Can you just go over a few of them? Sure. Uh, the most fundamental one is a pathway to citizenship, um, and that would certainly you know, get at the root cause of uh, the lower levels of cognitive skills um, in these kids. Uh, a second is um, labor law enforcement, particularly around wage violations. Um, so in recent years, uh, labor law inspectors who look for things like wage violations, um, their funding has been cut rather than increased um, as the incidence of these kinds of jobs has actually increased. Um, a third is, I think, what uh, community organizations and the rest of us can really do um, to support these parents and their children's learning. Um, so services that parents trust, uh, that they perceive benefit uh, their children, 
um, like uh, uh, center-based care and preschool education for their preschool-aged children are things that uh, some of our parents didn't know about. Um, some of them did not know, for example, that there was a program called Head Start in this country that was uh, available to support their children's development. And that was uh, providing that kind of information, providing it in settings that these parents trust, um, in community-based organizations, in faith-based organizations, um, uh, would uh, you know go far in improving the learning opportunities for these kids. So here, where can people get this book? Uh, well, it's available from the Russell Sage Foundation. It's also available at Amazon and any online bookseller. Okay, great. Thank you so much for appearing on the EdCast. Thank you. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.